Most children, probably most teenagers, fail to make this connection. What you do, think, and say now can influence a certain outcome later. So we, as parents, have to help our children make that connection all the time. What you do and say and post online now can impact your future. Hey, don't eat six pieces of cake right now because you won't feel good later. Hey, you should practice your free throws now if you want to be a better free throw shooter in the game later. Hey, brush your teeth, please. Brush your teeth now so that there won't be pain and, and cavities later. I mean, study hard. I mean, parents, we're telling our kids all the time, work hard in school now. Do what you need to do now because it'll lead for greater opportunities later. This is the study of causality, knowing causes and effects. And, and the more we know how a cause relates to an effect, I believe the more we're moved to motivation. So C looks great, I'll be moved to do A and B more often. It's causality. We're going to see a little bit of that today. Helping our children to understand this will motivate them, and God uses this to motivate us. Malachi is a book about a loving father who is holding his temper tantrum throwing children very close. And they're throwing a temper tantrum. God, you don't love us, is what they're saying. They've been restored back to the promised land. They've rebuilt Jerusalem. They've rebuilt the walls, but things aren't looking great. They're destitute. They're poor. Other nations, other people, wicked people seem to have more. And they complain, God, you don't love us. You're not a God of justice. You don't care about us. And they're throwing a temper tantrum. They're on the ground, kicking and screaming. God picks them up and he puts them on his knee. And the first thing he says, if we remember is, I love you. I, in fact, chose you. Not because you're lovable, but because I love you. You're my children. I'll be faithful to you. And in fact, it's not my love for you that should be questioned. It's your love for me that should be in question. And then he spends a huge chunk of the book of Malachi pointing out the different ways as to how their love is actually what's lacking. And so we get to this passage today as we close God again attempts to motivate his people to repentance fear and faith now because how they respond to him in the present will either lead to a very bleak future or a very bright future God earlier used a similar approach if you guys remember a few weeks ago he said I'm going to send a messenger and this messenger is going to come and He's going to purify you and he's going to make in you the ability to present worship that is acceptable and he's going to transform that old system and the wicked are going to be judged on this future day of the Lord. God's going to come back and make everything right because he's a God of justice. We're going to see a little bit more of that unpacked today, but he's going to now expand on that conversation and give us a greater idea of what awaits those who love, fear, and honor him. 
So turn to Malachi 3. Turn to Malachi 3. If you do not have a Bible, uh, we have a free Bible right there in the back for you. Grab that Bible. Uh, you can take it. You don't have to donate anything. It's yours. It's the, the translation we use. It's the ESV. Nothing special about it. It's just the one we picked. And, and so uh, we're, we're, there's a reason we picked it. But anyways, um, it's not that special. Uh, but uh, we have that back there for you. Get out your phone. I'm going to have you underlining some stuff today. Today. Guys, we're going to be eating some meat today. Buckle up. We're going to be eating some, some, some spiritual meat, some, some actual sustenance uh, this morning. So it's going to be a lot. So you're going to need to have God's word in front of you. Turn to Malachi 3. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. He says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how, how have we spoken against you? You've said it is vain to serve God. What profit is there in keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So these people, this group that are speaking harshly and arrogantly against the Lord. First, they're saying there is no profit in serving God. There's no profit. We're getting nothing out of it. So prosperity and profit were what was motivating and driving their service. And they're saying, and serving you, God, has gotten us absolutely nothing. Their service was change, the quarters. That's how they viewed their service. And God was a cosmic vending machine. So I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I expect to get something good out of this relationship. Their service was transaction-based service. Their service was transaction-based. And, and, and if I'm honest, my service to God can also feel transaction-based. Transaction-based service is very prevalent in the church today. I hear it in my own heart. I hear it from other people. Things like, you know, pastor, I serve, you know, I try, I pray. Why hasn't God given me this good thing yet? You know, I started going to church every Sunday, every other Sunday. But God, why aren't, why aren't you showing up in a, in a way that's going to help me out? Man, God, I'm throwing you a bone here, right? Like, I'm, 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 I'm doing my best, you know, I'm helping out here, but, but you haven't thrown me a bone. God, hey, Pastor, I'm scratching God's back, man. I've been, I've been serving, I've been going to church, I've been doing all this good stuff, but, but he hasn't scratched my, when's he gonna scratch my back because it's itching? That's transaction-based service. The problem with transaction-based service is it will not sustain you. It will not sustain you, you will burn out because God will never give you what you want in your timing and sometimes he doesn't give us what we want because what we want is not what we need. So transaction-based service is very dangerous and their service was transaction-based. Their service was also very performatory. It was for show. They say, you know, we, we're mourning before the Lord of hosts, you know, we're keeping his charge, we're, we're doing all these rituals and we're repenting like, like, you know, good people should. Why isn't God showing up? There's, there's no, this is worthless. It's because they're putting on a play. And God's the audience, and they, they expect God to stand up and just 
give them a round of applause and throw flowers on the stage. But, but God, God has reviewed their play and he has said, no stars. No stars. Because you're acting. Partly because God knows, I mean, the reason God knows that they're acting is partly because is he also sees what they're doing on the side. Their, their, their sacrifices are, are anything but good. They're, they're marrying pagan women and bringing in adultery. They're, they're robbing from God. They're stealing from God. So God knows that everything they're doing is hollow and, and performatory. And then they say this, we, we envy the wicked. We envy the wicked because look at them prosper. Look at them get away with doing bad things and even get good things. You ever felt like that? You ever seen wicked people around you prosper? Why do they have the house they have? He is a jerk. Why do they, why do they have the, the cars that they have? Why is he in such a successful position? Because he treats people like garbage. This is the question they were asking and they were envying wicked people saying, man, maybe it's better to be wicked than to be righteous because the wicked people are getting blessed. That's a dangerous place to be. You should not envy wicked people, no matter how much they have. And, and, and I'll tell you why here in a second. But they're also questioning God's character here. They're essentially saying, God, you promised to us in your covenant that you would, you would punish the wicked and bless the righteous. Guess what? You're not doing that. So you are not a God of your word. You are not a just God. So this is the place these people are in. It's pointless to serve God. We get nothing out of it. In fact, I'd, I'd, I'd rather be wicked than, than righteous at this point. And God, you are not who you say you are. I'm, I'm questioning your character. Now, God's going to talk about the outcome of their worldview and, and actions if they stay on this path here. He's going to talk about that here in a second. But before he does, we're introduced to a second group. It is a group we have yet to see in the book of Malachi. They have been quiet up until this point. And so look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. I'm going to have you underline some things here about these people. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And the book of remembrance, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those, underline this, who feared the Lord and, underline this please, esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. So God hears the words of another group and these people are getting together and they're kind of talking to each other. And we're not really told uh, what they're talking about, but it probably had something to do with repentance. God has continually said, repent, turn to me, turn from your sins, come back to me. So they're probably saying, guys, we should probably repent. Maybe a good idea. Uh, they're maybe talking about God's goodness, his faithfulness. He has been faithful to Israel over and over and over again. We, we don't know what they're talking about, but God hears it. And he says, that is good. 
So we don't know what they're saying, but we find out a lot of things about these people. And these are the things I had you underline. First, it says they feared the Lord. They feared God. Fear here, we've talked about a bunch. You know, it's not Nightmare on Elm Street fear. It's not terror. It's not, you know, being petrified. This is reverence and awe. It's not just respect. It's humble, holy respect for a righteous God. That is what biblical fear is. It's standing in front of God's character and his promises, and it's being blown away. It is being in awe. It is being brought to our knees because of who he is and what he has promised us. It's also understanding who we are. We are not holy and righteous. We need help to get there. And they also knew that God alone was their salvation. And Hebrews 11 we're told that the Old Testament saints, just like the New Testament saints, were, were saved by faith. So this fear had an element of faith in it. Believing in who God was and his promises for them as a community. Earlier, God had promised to send a future messenger who will one day come and transform his people and bring about true worship and judge others with reverence, awe, and fear. They trusted God and those kind of promises that a redeemer will come, that a savior will come, a Messiah will come. Do you reverently fear God? Remember Jesus is my homeboy? Remember that? That old craze? Remember Ashton Kutcher? <laughs> he wore the Jesus is my that. Guys, that's, I mean, it's just such a, 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 a loose way to look at, look at our God, look at our Lord, look at our Savior. And if you had a Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt, I'm not saying you're living in sin or anything like that. I'm just saying, what a flippant way to view our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our King. He's your friend. Yes. Homeboy? I don't know. Come on, man. <laughs> Do you fear God? Do you live in reverent fear of God? I don't mean ter being terrified, but as you, as you live your life and you obey or you, you know, you're tempted, do, do, you, do you understand that there's a God of justice watching you? There's a God of holiness there who desires for you to choose him over and over again. Here's how you know if you fear God. You will esteem his name. That's what it says here. They feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They talked about God. We live in a culture where people like to talk about themselves. You ever listen to the comedian Brian Regan? He talks about me monsters. There are people who just continually say me, I, this is what I did, I will, my, guess what cool thing happened to me, 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 I, I, uh, my, 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 uh, me, 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 attention, please. Uh, and there are people who are so enamored with God and his goodness that, that he is the one that is constantly on their lips. So if you, if you fear God, you will praise him. You will worship him. You will talk about him privately, publicly. He will be on your lips time and time again. It also says that this fear, this awe, this reverence, 
move them to obey God. It manifested itself in obedience. It doesn't say it was hollow and transaction-based. They didn't serve God to get something out of it. They served God because they loved him and feared him and, and honored him. I mean, fearing God, worshiping, obedience, isn't, it's, a, it's a pattern for us today. I mean, we fear God. That fear begins by, by grasping what happened on a mountainside 2,000 years ago outside of Jerusalem. God is holy and just. He has to deal with sin. Yet he's also loving and merciful. So he sent his son to deal with it on our behalf, to take his, its punishment. God made him sin who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. That moves me to awe, to repent of my sin, to put my faith in Jesus alone for salvation. That reverence moves me to worship. That faith moves me to obedience and to put my trust in Christ and Jesus alone. God has heard an unfaithful group. God has heard the faithful remnant. And what he's going to do in this passage from this point forward is really start to port, point our eyes forward to the day of the Lord. He said there's a day coming when God is going to come and he's going to judge the righteous and the wicked. And he wants to point our eyes to, to that day. And what he wants to make clear here is the future is bright for those who fear the Lord. We're about to get into some blessings upon blessings upon blessings here for people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus and fear God. This is what awaits you. This is what awaits me. I can't wait for it. Let's dig in. So, so first, let's just look at this passage real quick. Uh, look at verse 16. It talks about a book of remembrance. We already read that, a book of remembrance, records of names and events and actions. They, they were often recorded in the ancient world. Um, so this imagery probably hit home. There are a lot of types of these books mentioned in scripture. To be honest, I don't know how many of these books there are. Some people say there's two, there's four, there's all different kinds. Uh, but this book here the purpose of this book is to remember the righteous actions and words of God's people so they'll be rewarded in kind when they stand before God. So God is recording everything we do. He's got a scribe in heaven. Yep. I got one for Skimbry. Write down. Oh, oh I see. I, I, I see. I got one for Laura. I see what she's doing. He's going to write down everything we do, every good deed. Every act of worship and service, every kind word spoken, every sacrificial act, every time you urge the, or you resist the urge to retaliate, every time you serve in the nursery, that'll be underlined. He's going to write in this book, everything you do in God's power for his glory will be remembered. It will be remembered by God, you gave. Guys, Greg kept updating me on our Christmas benevolence offering. When he told me that you gave $800, I was blown away. 
two weeks later when he told me you gave $3,000 as a church for families in need, I, I was in awe. And here's the deal. A lot of those people, they won't have the opportunity to say thank you. You may not meet them. I mean, I can tell you real quick who, who some of these situations that we uh, that your money went to. Um, a family experiencing hardship, a family who's facing unexpected medical bills, a preemie baby just came home after three months in the hospital. That ain't, that ain't cheap. Family whose mother had COVID and lost her job. There's also, they also went through a recent auto accident where one of the children was hit by a car. A family not having extra income to pay for for gifts, a family with five children experiencing homelessness, a staff member here at Southridge who's paying for medical bills from her child being in the hospital and the resulting diagnosis, a mother in a broken relationship who's lost her car. These people aren't going to be able to come to you and say thank you, so you're not going to get that sort of you know tangible feeling like that. that oh man, that was great, but I know it. But but God remembers. God remembers, and one day, you're going to stand before the Lord. And he's going to open that book, and he's going to, he's going to say, man, this right here isn't what saves you, but you being sacrificial like this, you serving like this, you, you giving like this, it, it actually tells me that your faith in me was real, that you revered me, that you loved me, that you trusted in me, and that led to Worship and obedience, is that not motivation for us today? I mean, there are people who give money and just they, they throw cash on the front door of somebody and they walk away. Not to get praise from men, but because God's watching. God's moving in their hearts and they want to love and serve and honor and please God. Not to be saved, but because they already have been. And they want to reflect that generosity to other people. He says, this book of remembrance will be written. He says, they shall be mine. I will make them my treasured possession. In 1 Peter 2.9, Peter picks up this language for us as the church today. He says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wondrous light. God's treasured possession, saints and new, or saints old and new, on that day will be gathered together. What, what, just, just guys, what's your most treasured possession? Don't say Jesus or my wife. I, I, I mean, I don't get brownie points here, but like, what's your, the favorite thing that you own? What, what is it? Nobody has a treasured possession? My old Bronco. Your old? 69 Bronco. He has a 69 Bronco. And, and Larry, you love that Bronco, right? I want to be buried. You, you, you want to be buried? A little extra money to get a grave, get some more grave sites. Drive me in there. So Larry, do you, do you take care of that Bronco? You love that Bronco? You protect that Bronco from your daughter's Garage. scratching it? And it's okay, your Bronco. What else? What else? Anybody else? Your most treasured possession? Anybody else have a treasured possession? Go ahead. Your dog, your, your, your dog who? Mr. Wrinkles. It's hilarious that I said, you know, not your wife or Jesus. You didn't go to kids. You went to dog. So, 
<laughs> Mr. Sprinkles, I'm sorry, Isaiah, uh, uh, Ariana, he, he, Sprinkles wins. Um, yeah, you protect your dog, you care for God. We are God's treasured possession. He loves us more than, than we could ever imagine. Whatever attachment we have to any treasured possession in this world pales into comparison to, to how much he loves us, protects us, and cares for us. And on that day, that entire treasured possession, all of us jewels and diamonds and precious metals will be gathered together. He'll love us, and we will serve him and glorify him. He says... I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. He's saying the avalanche, of, the avalanche of my wrath will pour out on the wicked, but I will run in the midst of that and hold you close to me and protect you and save you because I love you because you're my child. I will take that wrath. Romans 5, 9 says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him, him being Jesus. Jesus is our wrath taker. Jesus is our rock. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. That song was brought to life because the person who wrote it was caught in a storm and he found a, a cleft in a rock. Jesus is the one who protects us from wrath. I'm going to make you my possession. I'm going to spare you. You'll be All the good things you do will be written in this book. And the last thing he says here is, I'll make clear who is wicked and who is not. I will make clear on that day who is wicked and who is not. So let's just back up here before we continue on. One group is saying, man, it's, it's pointless to serve God. And God is saying through this new group, it is absolutely not pointless to serve me if that service is rooted in fear and love and trust and faith. Because a, a bright future awaits those who serve me in this way. They're saying, you, you know, God, the, the justice are getting blessed. The righteous are getting beat up. Everything's mixed up here. We can't tell who's who. And God is saying, well, there'll be a day where it'll be very clear who is, who is righteous and who, who is wicked, who serves me and who does not. Let's keep going. Look at verse 4.1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. That day is coming. It shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root or branch. On that day, the wicked will get what they deserve. Burning, stubble, ablaze. This is figurative language of judgment. They will face judgment, then hell. You don't, you don't, we've talked about this. You don't hear that word spoken a lot about in church today. Hell. I don't like talking about it. It's not my favorite subject. And so it's kind of in vogue to downplay it and to talk about all the benefits of salvation, but not what God has actually saved us from. Or we kind of just dismiss it altogether. It's not a real place. It's really not a real place. And, and, and I struggle with the, the theological concept of, of an eternal separation from, from God forever. But I think I struggle with it because of two reasons. One is 
I fail to understand just how holy, righteous, and good God is. I also fail to understand the depth of my sin and how offensive my sin is. God is is infinite. God is just. God is righteous. He is holy. He has to punish sin. He has to bring justice. We are sinful, and our our sin is described in Scripture as rebellion and idolatry. And it's not just that I do a few bad things here and there. Sin has invaded every part of who I am. But if God is just kind of an imperfect, you know, Father Time sort of figure who's, who's jolly and and who doesn't, you know, he's all, all, you know, he's just very nice. And, and if our sin isn't that big of a deal, it's, you know, it's just kind of, I mean, we messed up and it's not that big of a deal. If, if that's how we view things, then yeah, hell is disgusting. But it's, but it's a real place. And, and it breaks my heart that I have people that I love, that I care for, headed in that direction. I have to hold to the unpleasant reality that people I I love will go there, so, so I want to love them and preach the gospel to them while I have time so that they may repent and turn to Jesus. The wicked, the unjust, will be dealt with. Look at verse two and three. But for you, who fear my name. I love this. The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord. The future is literally bright for those who put their fear in God. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And it's a weird picture of the sun with wings but think of the wings as as the rays of sun like that's it's kind of poetic it's the rays of the sun bringing out and, and and we live in Colorado and so when spring hits and and you walk outside and you feel the sun hit your face it is an amazing feeling it's a feeling of, of of warmth and so this coming will bring a consuming fire for some and healing for others and, and the sun is God, or as some scholars specify, Jesus. John calls Jesus the light of the world, correct? And so the sun will come on that day and he will bring about healing. On that day, when Jesus comes back, there will be healing. It'll be physical healing and spiritual healing. Sin is messed up both. No more cancer. No more memory loss. No more pain. There will not be a mask mandate in heaven. No more coronavirus. No more disease. No more hunger. He will heal us physically and he will heal us spiritually. Sin will no longer tempt us to brokenness. It just won't be something we deal with. 
We won't be tempted to give in and give in to depression and anxiety and, and decisions that hurt ourselves and others. We'll be no longer moved to death because death will be swallowed up forever and he's going to wipe away all our tears. And, and look how it describes us. Leap, we'll leap like calves. We'll break out, break whatever chains we have to this world. We're going to kick down the door of our barn and you will jump. When's the last time some of y'all just jumped? My knees are bad. I got about a one inch vert. I'll be hitting 10, 11 inches easy in that new glorified body. I mean, we will jump. It will be a party. It will be a celebration. Quinn's going to be DJing. It's, I mean, Greg's going to lead us in the conga line. We're going to be moving around. Our bodies are going to, I mean, guys, it's going to be a celebration. That's the picture here. And there will be justice. There will be justice. That is what God has for those who fear him. Let's rack up all these things. It's a book of remembrance. It says, you'll be my treasured possession. He says, I'll spare you from my wrath. He says, I'll bring healing physically. I'll bring you healing spiritually. He says, your restored bodies will run and we'll jump around like calves and we will party and you will be with me forever. Blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing for those who fear the Lord. So he encourages them here and we'll wrap up. Verse four, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes, and rules that I commanded him at Oreb for all Israel. Remember what I've commanded you, Israel, to do through Moses. Keep going. If you mess up, repent. Keep going. Something good is coming. Something good is coming. Something good is coming. You have a bright future. Keep going. Keep going. And he expands on this in, in five and six. And here we come to the end of Malachi. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Elijah is coming, then the Lord will come and that day will be bright for some. In the New Testament, who is connected to Elijah? John the Baptist. So we know that John the Baptist comes. He is the forerunner. He prepares the way for our Lord. And there'll be a day where he turns their hearts and brings peace, even between fathers and sons who, who often don't get along all of the time. And for others, it will be a dark day of destruction. And so this is the last book in the Old Testament. And we know that for 400 years, God goes quiet. He goes quiet. And you're like, hey, what does this passage have to do with Christmas? Let me tell you. So for 400 years, after he's, he's written it, it's coming, this day's coming, this day's coming, Jesus quietly enters the picture. It's a newborn baby. It's crazy to think of Jesus as a baby. I can't comprehend that sometimes. But he comes as a newborn baby in humility, and he comes and, and he's born and he lives a sinless life. We know that story. But for Israel, Malachi, during this time, they didn't assume that Jesus would come that way. They, they assumed that the coming of the Messiah and the day of the Lord were, were one and the same. 
So Jesus would come, or this Messiah, this Savior, this Redeemer, this Messenger of the Covenant would come, but he'd probably come with like an army. And he'd come and he'd, he'd overthrow Rome and all their oppressors and he'd set up his kingdom and he'd judge, he'd start just judging fools and he'd make everything right and everything would be good and there'd be this kingdom established. They didn't understand that Jesus would come in a way that's lowly, that he would come and live a sinless life, that he would die on a cross, that he would come and, and fill our hearts as he ascended. He would send his Holy Spirit to come and, and fill our hearts and that he would build his church for millennia as we wait on the day of the Lord, just like Israel, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, we are still waiting for this day. We are waiting on this day for Jesus to come back. And so we're moved to persevere in fearing, worshiping, and serving our God today. Because one day that book of remembrance will be opened your faith will be affirmed. That treasure will be collected and gathered together. We will be kept from his wrath. The wicked will be dealt with. There will be justice. We will be healed and we will celebrate cause and effect. And as New Testament Christians, we're not called to remember the law and the prophets. We're called to fix our eyes on the one who fulfilled those things. We began our year talking about fixing our eyes on Jesus. That was our theme this year. We're going to end it with fixing our eyes on Jesus. As that day of the Lord comes. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. This is what Paul said in Thessalonians, and I'll pray. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on, on, on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate in the hope of salvation as a helmet for God did not did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ he died so that whether we are awake or asleep we may live together with him therefore encourage one another and build each other up just in fact you are doing let's pray